Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we are continuing our journey through Exodus, and in particular this chapter with the golden calf. One of my favorite Christmas movies, it's probably your favorite one too, is A Christmas Story with little Ralphie, who wants a Red Ryder BB gun, and everybody says, you'll shoot your eye out. And there's that one scene in the movie where Ralphie's angry, And he lets loose with a cuss word, a few cuss words, and his mother makes him wash his mouth out with soap. And he's sitting there in his room with a bar of soap in his mouth, and he's pouting, and his mom looks at him, and then she just starts cracking up laughing because she realizes the pain he's going through with that bar of soap in his mouth. And she relents on the punishment, and, and it's kind of a funny scene there. But that was a common form of discipline. A few decades ago, uh, when children would say bad words, they would often uh, learn their lesson by literally getting their mouth washed out with soap. (laughs) And usually what happened was they would get dirty, or they'd get sick to their stomachs after that little episode. And we laugh at this rather inventive way of, of punishing children, putting a bar of soap in their mouth. But it's not really that far off from how God disciplined the nation of Israel in dealing with the golden calf episode. Now, what have we seen so far in chapter 32? Well, the first question we asked a few weeks ago is, what exactly is idolatry? What what is idolatry? And idolatry is insecurity. It's fear, it's, it's anxiety, it's impatience. You're, you're wanting to do things your way instead of God's way. And we also found out that Aaron gave in to peer pressure. And ultimately, idolatry is exchanging the glory of God for something he's created. And then last week, we asked the second question, okay, how does God respond to this idolatry? And the answer was he responded with burning wrath. He got angry. So much so that he was going to destroy the nation of Israel and start over with Moses. And then if you remember, Moses prayed. Moses implored the Lord. Moses interceded, said, God, you need to think twice about this. And we realized that Moses didn't necessarily change God's mind, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord relented from executing his justice. So, They're spared God's wrath. But just because they've been spared God's wrath and not destroyed, does that mean that the Israelites won't experience God's fatherly discipline? And does that mean that they don't need to repent of their idolatry? So let's jump back in the story 
Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 15. And let's continue to see how this unfolds. Exodus 32, verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So I said, let any who has gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and translation here, poof, out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, For Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you've been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain, and they hear loud noises, partying, debauchery. So loud, so much mayhem that Joshua thinks it's battle going on down there. They must have been at war. There's so much shouting. And we don't know what was going on down there, but it was loud. Maybe it's a mixture of drunken singing, wild dancing. Men are shouting as they're chasing down the women. Women are screaming as the men are chasing after them. They're fighting over food. Who knows what? We really don't know. All we know that it was so loud that they thought a battle was going on. And Moses says, it's not a battle for victory. There's a wild party going on down there. And he does something very dramatic in verse 19. In verse 19, what does Moses do? As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Moses throws the Ten Commandments at the base of the mountain. Now, this is not Moses' out-of-control anger. 
This is strategic. This is purposeful. There's a reason why Moses does this. This is a dramatic way for Moses to say, listen, Israel, this law that you promised just a few days ago to obey, you have broken it. You've broken the law. You've broken my covenant. This is the very spot at the base of the mountain where you pledged your allegiance to the one God of Israel. You've broken that commandment. You've broken that covenant. Just days earlier in Exodus 24-7, what did they pledge to the Lord? He took the book of the covenant of Moses and read it in the hearing of the people. And what did they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. We will be obedient. And Moses shatters the law right at the base of the mountain and says, so how did that go for you, Israel? And then what does he do? Well, he totally pulverizes the golden calf down to the powder, the gold powder, and then he puts it in the water supply and makes the Israelites drink the water, the powdered water, the liquid gold, basically washing their mouth out with soap. So much so that it made them sick to their stomachs. Now, this is not God's consuming wrath. He did not destroy them. He could have destroyed them on the spot. He could have annihilated them. This is discipline. God says, listen, you've got to understand that you've committed idolatry and you've got to experience some discipline here. You're not just going to get off scot-free. So this is his way of showing them, listen, you need to not do this again. I'm disciplining you so that you will repent. I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to discipline you. There's a difference between God's wrath and God's discipline. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Therefore, we will never experience the punishment of our sin. But that doesn't mean that when we don't sin or when we do sin, we won't experience the discipline of God, the fatherly discipline. This was read earlier during our time of confession. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God loved Israel. God was in covenant faithfulness with Israel. God disciplined Israel. You like this calf so much? I'm going to make you drink it till it makes you sick to your stomach. It's a form of discipline. But I want you to notice what Moses does with the golden calf. Does Moses hide it away? He destroys it completely. He totally annihilates the idol down to dust so that there would be no mistaking that they would ever go back to the idol again. It had to be totally destroyed. Sometimes we don't ever truly get rid of our idols, do we? We hide them away for a season, out of sight, out of mind. But we hide them so that when we get fearful or anxious or impatient, we can easily go back to them. And Moses says, you're not going back to that idol. I'm going to destroy it. We need to destroy the idol's in our lives, not just hide them away for convenience sake, but totally get rid of them. And this was fatherly discipline on the nation of Israel. 
So the nation needed to be disciplined for what they did, but not only the nation, but their spiritual leader, Aaron, needed to be publicly rebuked. Moses and Aaron have a conversation here. (laughs) Don't you like Aaron's response? Moses says to Aaron, what in the world did you do? And what does Aaron say? The blame game. Well, you know the people. Those crazy Israelites, Moses, we've been dealing with them for a long time now. They're weird. They're, 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 they, they caused me to do this. I was just an innocent bystander after all. And, and by the way, they, they kind of gave me the gold, Moses. And, I, and notice verse 24, I, I, threw, I threw the gold into the fire and poof, out came this calf. Just kind of happened. Yeah, right, Aaron. You probably spent more than a day smelting down the gold, fashioning the gold, using that engraving tool to inscribe. It didn't just happen like that, did it, Aaron? You see, he's blinded because he gave into the peer pressure. And see, Moses, as his brother, rebukes him to his face and says, What have you done? And what does Aaron do when rebuked? Deflects. Blames. Uh, It just kind of happened, Moses. I wonder what happens oftentimes when other people confront us with sin. Do we shift the blame? Do we play the victim? Do we deflect? Somebody else made me do it. You see, sometimes when somebody approaches you with love, when they speak the truth in love, there's two responses I found from a lot of people. Fight or flight. Somebody comes to you and says, confronts you with your sin and says, here's what you're doing wrong. You can, you can ruffle your feathers and say, okay, I'm going I'm to defend myself. I'm going to deflect. I'm going I'm to fight. Or they, they run. They fly. I don't, don't want to deal with this. I want to deflect. I want to get away. And so Aaron doesn't necessarily fight Moses. He just kind of deflects. It just kind of happened. He's, he's embarrassed. He's been publicly rebuked by his brother. And he still doesn't take ownership. So the people have been disciplined. Aaron has been rebuked. But notice in verse 25 what Moses basically encapsulates this entire episode down into one phrase. Notice what he says in verse 25. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, or Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. They'd broken loose. In other words... They'd gotten out of control. Think of all the terms that have been used so far in this passage of Scripture to talk about idolatry. It's corrupting. It causes you to be stiff-necked. It causes you to be stubborn. It causes you to shift the blame. You give in to peer pressure. All of these terms. And then Moses just says, here's the flat-out truth. They've gotten out of control. They're in such gross, rebellious idolatry They are just out of control. And there's a problem with Israel being out of control. Because if you read between the lines and you look at the original language there in verse 25, the Gentile pagan nations around them are going to begin to gossip about them. When it says there at the end of verse 25, to the derision of their enemies, the derision, the Hebrew word there really means to whisper. To gossip. Be something like this. The Canaanites would be saying this. We thought we were wild. 
We've got Baal and Asherah and all these weird guys. We thought we were wild. Look at those crazy Israelites. They're worse than us. They say they're followers of Yahweh, and look at how they're acting. They're out of control. Our foolishness and idolatry can negatively impact our witness to a watching world. You're a Christian and you do that? I'm a a heathen and and I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I couldn't believe you would do that. Israel's out of control. They're flat out of control. So much so that the pagan nations are going to look in and say, they are out of control. We thought we were out of control. They're out of control. So what needs to happen here? What needs to happen here is decisive repentance. There needs to be a public and total repudiation and forsaking and repenting of the idolatry once and for all. They need to make a public commitment to stand again for the Lord. And that's what Moses does in verse 26. Very important. Moses stood at the gate of the camp. Moses stands up in front of everybody and just says these words. Who is on the Lord's side? Come on over. Who's on the Lord's side? Now, a scholar has made a great statement about what would happen if Israel had not repented of their idolatry. Listen to what, I thought it was a very good quote. It's it's a little long, but just listen to it. Scholar D.K. Stewart makes this great point. He says, quote, If the idolatry were allowed to continue, many people in ancient Israel would turn from saving truth to condemning falsehood, from the promise of eternal life with God to destruction in hell. And since Israel was the repository of God's saving truth at this time, allowing the idolatry to continue might have affected the potential for eternal life of countless future generations in Israel and Gentiles alike. You hear what he says there? If Israel doesn't repent here, there may be no future for Israel or for Gentiles. So this is a moment of truth. And Moses stands and says, who's on the Lord's side? Who's going to stand up and be counted? Who's going to stand up and repent? Who's going to publicly forsake this idolatry and stand up and be counted and say, Are you with the Lord? There is no spiritual neutrality when it comes to Jesus, okay? So some of you that want to be Switzerland, you can't do it. Switzerland's a neutral country. You can't be neutral. You're either on Christ's side or you're not. And Jesus even said that. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So every day, we need to make that difficult choice to stand up and say, I identify with the Lord. I confess Jesus as my Savior. I'm living for Christ. I am identifying with Jesus. I'm going to live for Christ no matter what the cost, if it's unpopular, if people think I'm weird, if it's uncomfortable, I'm going to make the choice every day to stand up and say, I'm on the Lord's side, whatever may come. And that's what Moses does. And here's the shocking sadness of this event. The only people that come forward are the Levites, the sons of Levi. Now, you need to know something about the Levites. 
Moses was from the tribe of Levi. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. And I'm sure some of these Levites had joined in the worship of the golden calf. We don't know why the Levites came. All we know is that they decisively answered Moses' call and got on his side. The Levites. They came right away. They didn't have a little convention over here and mulled over. Should we go over to Moses? No, it was, we're going. He said, who's on the Lord's side? It's a no-brainer. We're moving. But here's what's sad. No other tribe joined Moses. Does the text tell you anybody else stepped up and went forward besides the Levites? Stop and think about this for a moment. If you're an Israelite, you've just drunk the powdered gold drink. Moses is burning hot. He's just broken the Ten Commandments at the base of the mountain. And you know what you've done is wrong. And Moses, your leader, stands, who's on the Lord's side? Come on over. And there's crickets from everybody else except for the Levites. And then in verses 26 through 29, we see something that at first glance may seem drastic. You're like, what in the world is this in my Bible? Yes, it is. Let's explain what's going on here. The Levites come over. In verse 26, who's on the Lord's side come to me? And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus thus says the Lord God of Israel. So this is not Moses' idea. This is from the Lord. Put your sword on your side and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Now let me explain what this is not, okay? This is not a proof text for you to go around killing people that you don't agree with. Just because you feel like it, okay? Obviously we don't practice this today. So this is not carte blanche to go around and do vigilante justice. But let me explain what also is not happening here. These are not just random acts of violence. The the Levites are just going out randomly and just killing people. It's not random acts of violence. You have to read carefully here what's going on. It says they were going, look what it says there. They were going to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. Now, what were they doing? There's a lot of debate and scholarship as to what actually happened, and so we kind of have to guess, and I'll give you my best guess of of what I think is happening here. I think they are systematically going from tent to tent and house to house, finding out who is still worshiping idols and who's ready to repent. Because think about it for a moment. Think about the public nature of the golden calf. It was public, wasn't it? Everybody was out there carousing. It was public. Moses pulverized the calf. They drank the powder. And then we have to assume that when Moses says, who's on the Lord's side and only the Levites came... Everybody else went back to their tents. And what happens behind closed doors may not be evident. So there could have been people that said, okay, publicly, we've been humiliated. But when we go back to the privacy of our own home and into our own tents, we're going to still hold on to idols. We're going to hide it from the rest of the camp. We're not going to give up our idols. We're going to hide them in our tents. And so I think the Levites went searching high and low. They went from tent to tent to find out who were the ones that were still holding on to idolatry and wouldn't repent. Now, 
At this time, there's probably 600,000 males. And how many get killed? 3,000. Here's what the text doesn't tell us. We have, to, we have to guess, okay? The text does not tell us. Who were these men? Were they the ringleaders? Were they the instigators? Were they the ones that started the whole thing? Were they the most rebellious, the most raucous? We don't know. All we know is that they were killed. But as opposed to looking at the small number, the 3,000, let's look at the large number. Here's the point. The overwhelming majority of Israel didn't die. They learned their lesson and they repented. This again is God's discipline, not his wrath. He could have destroyed, he could have destroyed the entire nation and had every right to do so. But he didn't. He relented from his anger. 3,000 men died. And some of you that are good at math may help me. I think that's one half of 1% of Israel's adult population. So here's the point. Here's the point. Three times God gives them an opportunity to repent, if you think about it. He gives them the water as a form of discipline. He publicly rebukes their leader, and then he sends the Levites out as an act of mercy. You may think it's not an act of mercy, but God is saying, Israel, you need to repent. You need to repent. Romans 2, 4 through 5 says this. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Very rarely in the Bible, there's, there's a few exceptions, but almost always in the Bible, God gives people time to repent. Noah building his ark for 140 years. God sending prophets. God sending messengers. God sending warnings. There are a few exceptions where God doesn't send warnings. But God is sending Israel a warning here. You need to repent. There's time. Don't presume upon my kindness. My kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So let me ask you a very pointed question. Has God been gracious to you and sent you warnings and sent you kindness, not so that you can continue in your sin, but so that you can repent? You see, God's kindness is not meant to lead you to continue to do it because you didn't get caught. God's kindness is meant to you to say, wait a minute, if I continue in doing this, it's going to be a big, huge deal, so I'm going to repent. This was an act of mercy to send the Levites out into the nation to give them an opportunity to repent. Let's retrace our steps for a moment. What is idolatry? It's that fearful insecurity of wanting a God you can control and and doing things your way and, and being impatient and giving in to peer pressure. How does God respond to that idolatry? He responds in wrath, but then his wrath was relented. And then God disciplines us for idolatry and gives us an opportunity to repent. But there's one final issue in this chapter that's very, very interesting. 
Let's continue reading because this is where it gets very, very interesting. Chapter 30. I mean, chap- verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Just to put that little dig in there, the one that Aaron made. Let's not forget Israel's sin deserved God's full wrath. Even though the golden calf had been completely destroyed, even though they'd been disciplined through drinking the the powdered gold, 3,000 men dying, Aaron being publicly rebuked, they still had to suffer for their sins. Now, last week, what did Moses do the first time God was angry? Moses prayed. God, please relent of your anger. Moses prayed. Here, it's something a little bit different. He doesn't pray... He says, I'm going to go offer an atonement. Maybe an atonement will cover their sins. Maybe an atonement will completely cover their sins. The covenant had been broken. They were guilty. They needed atonement. They were lawbreakers. They were condemned. Now here's where it's very interesting. Nowhere does... Moses mentioned going and sacrificing an animal. What does Moses say? God, if it's all possible, I'll be the atonement. Kill me instead of the people. Now you say, well, Pastor Sean, where do you see that? What does he say? What does he say in verse 32? If now you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you've written. Blot me out of your book, God. Now, what's he talking about here? In that ancient world, kings and rulers would have a register, a book of their citizens. And they'd write their names in a book. And when somebody died, they'd blot their name out of the book. And so it was like a census type thing. What's Moses saying here? What's Moses really saying here to God? Blot me out of the book. What's the book? It's the Lamb's book of life. What's Moses saying? Now think about the depth of Moses' compassion for his people here. Moses says, God, if it's all possible, send me to hell to let these people live. I'll be the sacrifice of atonement for these people as opposed to them dying for their sin. Blot me out of the book of life. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when they go out 
He sends the 70 out to preach the gospel, and they're, they're casting out demons, and, and it's a great time of ministry. They come back, and they're excited, and Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven, the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The Lamb's book of life on the final day of judgment, the great white throne. If your name's not in the Lamb's book of life, you're thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 27, talking about the the final abode of of the saved, the, the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's heaven. Nor anyone who does what's detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who gets to go to heaven? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What does Moses do here? Somehow Moses knows that there's a book of life which determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And if it was all possible for Moses to, quote, unquote, lose his spot, be blotted out, he says, God, I'll be the atonement. This was unheard of. Before, all Moses did was pray to God. God, please don't do it. In this moment, Moses says, I will take the wrath. I will be the atonement. I will suffer being my name blotted out of the book of life. But here's the problem. God doesn't take Moses up on his offer. Why does God not accept Moses as a sacrifice or blot his name out of the Lamb's book of life? Why? Because Moses was a mere man. A sinful man with an anger problem. And as a great a leader and as great a prophet as Moses was, he was just as sinful as any other Israelite. He was not a pure, spotless man that could make atonement by offering himself. But here's Moses' heart. You could say, Moses said to God, I will lay down my life for my friends. Does this not sound like Jesus as the good shepherd? John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Moses wants to lay down his life for the sheep, and God says, you can't do it. You're not qualified, Moses. John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Moses wants to lay down his life for his friends, and God says, you're not qualified, Moses. And then in verse 35, the Lord sent a plague on the people. Now, here's another thing we have to guess. The text doesn't tell us what this plague is. It could be future punishment for that generation that rebelled and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then died not getting into the promised land. That could be what the plague is. Or it could have been an immediate pestilence or some type of disease. We really don't know. All we know is that the people still had to suffer something because of their sin. The people still had to suffer a plague and Moses was not qualified to die in their place. God said, you're not qualified. I'm not going to blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. I'm going to send the plague. And the reason why is because Moses, as good as he was, as great as he was, as powerful as he was, he couldn't offer himself as atonement because he was a mere man. Jesus, on the other hand, 
not only could experience God's wrath, but did experience God's wrath on the, on the cross. Jesus, on the other hand, was qualified to offer himself as an atonement in our place because he was the pure, sinless, spotless son of God. Jesus was the only one qualified to actually stand in the place of sinful people and a holy God as one mediator. Jesus is the greater and more perfect Moses. The writer of Hebrews is going to spend a lot of time talking about that in his book. But Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. through There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. Who's that one mediator? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. Now, obviously, Jesus' name was not blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. But think about what Jesus experienced on our behalf. He endured God's wrath on the cross for our sins. Our terrible sins were credited to him while he was hanging there on the cross. He took our punishment, and then three days later, he rose from the tomb victorious over sin and death. And Jesus is alive, and the resurrected Lord calls every single person today with these words. Here's what Jesus is saying. Who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? Who will repent of their sins and trust in me? Jesus says. Who will stand with me? And if Jesus calls you, be like the Levites and go immediately. Don't wait. Decisively repent like the Levites did. Jesus would say it this way. Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Jesus would say it this way in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. Who is on the Lord's side? Are you? If not, why not? If not, why not do it now? Don't presume upon the kindness of God. Repent now. Let me ask you to bow your heads as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Are you hiding your idols away or are you destroying your idols? Are you shifting blame or are you owning up to your sin? 
when Christ calls you and says, who's on the Lord's side? Are you hesitant to get over there? Or are you like the Levites, you move quickly? Lord, will we be a people who take up our cross daily, deny ourselves daily, and follow you, Jesus? Will we be a people who lose our lives to find our lives? Will we be a people who are not ashamed of you, Jesus? But every day we live our lives on the Lord's side. And Lord, there are times when you discipline us for our good because you love us. And help us to see those times of discipline lead us to repentance. Lord, you've been so good to us. We probably could tell stories in this room about how many of us have been spared heartache and tragedy that we should have had, but you were gracious and intervened. Lord, let that lead us to repentance. Let us be a people who are always repenting, always trusting, always turning to you. Help us to see the devastating effects of idolatry in our lives. Help us to identify whatever golden calf we may have erected in our mind or that we may be dealing with right now. And Jesus, may we turn to you as the only one that can satisfy, the only one that can save, the only one that can forgive, the only one that has power. Help us to walk out of this place knowing that our sins have been forgiven and we are on the Lord's side. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.